The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. It was very much not an overnight success for me at all. It was like, you know, four years of publishing novels to almost no audience and having like all of my friends succeed on a level that I was not anywhere close to and just kind of being the one that they're like, I don't know, maybe better luck next time, you know, and and then suddenly it just clicked, I think, like I said, in large part due to the fact that the world is like on fire. And welcome back to The Writer Files. This is your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Number one, New York Times bestselling author Emily Henry spoke to me about her past life as a YA midlister, the romance renaissance, writing your way out of darkness, and her latest, Book Lovers. Emily is the number one New York Times bestselling author of People We Meet on Vacation and Beach Read, and has sold over a million copies of her novels. Her latest, Book Lovers, was an instant number one New York Times bestseller, multiple most anticipated read of 2022, and has been described as a love story between a buy-the-book literary agent and a prickly book editor who fall in love in a small town straight out of a romance movie. New York Times bestselling author Taylor Jenkins Reid called it a rom-com lover's dream of a book, and Emma Straub wrote, quote, I would follow Emily Henry anywhere, a small town, a literary enterprise, a bookstore to rescue, and, end quote, other sexy things. Emily's books have been featured in BuzzFeed, Oprah Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, The New York Times, The Skim, and more. In this file, Emily and I discussed what it's like to live in a lightning strike, watching your friends succeed wildly, making romance more accessible to the masses, the secrets behind Hallmark Christmas movies, how to wake, wordle, and write your way to 2,000 words a day, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published, and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on The Writer Files. I am honored today to be joined by number one, New York Times bestselling author Emily Henry is joining us. How on earth are you today? (laughs) I'm pretty good. How are you? (laughs) 
you know, surviving these, yeah. these interesting times. Yeah. 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 Uh, are you having a good summer? Yeah. I mean, you know, basically what you said, it's like the world is on fire in every conceivable way, but I'm like writing my happy little books and I'm reading other people's <laughs> happy books and um, that's getting me through. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think now is it's more important than ever that we have books with some yeah some hope <laughs> yeah i mean i think I, I keep telling myself that other generations have felt this way um but i think there there have always been seasons where this has been necessary like i think a lot about how when it's a wonderful life came out which is like one of the best movies of all time but it like hmm. bombed because people were just like i don't want to be sad right now <laughs> like we just made it through a war like let's not have a sad like post-war movie so yeah i i for sure think that is like you know why people have really gravitated toward books like mine in the last couple of years is like we just need hmm. we do need that hope yeah yeah um well i can't wait to talk about your latest book lovers um which has uh obviously been um, critically lauded and your peers kind of kind of came out of the woodwork to praise it and uh, some really really amazing press there but um, let's talk about your superhero origins and <laughs> take us back a little bit because you know I know we talked to so many authors about kind of the, the life before becoming a number one New York Times bestseller and it's like that that will kind of be attached to your name now in perpetuity right but it's like yeah. you, you you had a life before <laughs> <laughs> all of the success. Yeah. And you know, like, I feel like almost every success looks like overnight success and almost no success is that. And for me, I had been publishing very, very, very different young adult novels um, before this. And so I had like this full career there that was doing these kind of strange genre bent mid-list titles <laughs> that like were not necessarily critically lauded or certainly not bestsellers. Um, and I'm like, so, 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 so grateful for that because I think that helped me have real appreciation for this moment that I'm having. And also hopefully mm. has helped me not like cement this expectation that this will keep happening. Cause this is like, this is a moment and it's a beautiful, amazing moment, but a career is much longer <laughs> than like a lightning strike, which I feel like is kind of the state that I've been living in for the last three years of just, hmm. I don't understand like how this is going this well. So yeah, I, I, I was a, a mid-list genre bending writer. And then I, it was like, I think 2017, maybe it was 2016 or 20, 2017. I was just personally like in a very dark space. And I felt like that was kind of the beginning of the end, hmm. of, like the world's too. Um, I just, the world seemed really chaotic and terrifying and I was just really struggling. And so I had just turned in one of my YA novels and I just needed something that felt happy and safe. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted to immerse myself in the feeling of like, basically like I wanted to live inside of a Nora Ephron movie. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted a full month where that was like what my life was about. So I wrote Beach Read then really truly for myself. I, I didn't have any expectations as far as selling it. It was like, I have some downtime. I really want to be writing like a happy summer romance. Um, 
And so then immediately I like wrote a character who right out of the gate, like her dad has just died and like she found out he had another life and, you know, like my version of a happy go lucky love story. So that was really like this, this exercise that was just all about like giving myself what I needed at that time. And, um, a couple of years went by after I wrote it and I like was noticing this uptick in the popularity of romance novels and seeing this like huge Renaissance, like kind of led by authors like Jasmine Guillory and Helen Huang. And, um, I emailed my agent and was like, I like think that I wrote something in this genre. Like I'm not totally sure where it fits, but it seems like it might fit with, with this moment that's happening in publishing. And, she read it and had a lot of thoughts and like, you know, kind of gave me like some, some romance read recommendations. Um, and I worked on it for a while, just like revising it a bit, but she was actually leaving agenting. And so she like, let me down easy. You know, it was like, we'd been kind of toying with it. And she was like, I don't really know how to sell romance, but I'm going to try and figure it out. And then she was like, Oh, actually I need to like retire. Cause I'm going to focus on my own writing career. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. <laughs> and she's so great. I love her. We're still friends, oh, but it cool. was like, you know, the moment that like, you just like publishing is so transient. And so you're just like mm. constantly waiting for that. And I, I will admit, I would like spend the whole time that we were working together being like, she's going to leave eventually. And it was, it was great. She was like, I'm going to connect you with my agent. Actually, I think, you know, you would really like her. And so I did a few calls with different agents, including her agent who, um, worked a ton in the romance space specifically. And I just loved her. And she actually like, she's friends with my former agent and they had like fairly similar personalities and their voices sounded kind of similar. And I was like, this would be a seamless transition. So, um, then I signed with this new agent and it, you know, like the rest is history, but it was not like, it was very much not an overnight success for me at all. It was like, you know, four years of publishing novels to almost no audience and having like all of my friends succeed on a level that I was not anywhere close to. And just kind of being the one that they're like, I don't know, maybe better luck next time, you know? And, and then suddenly it just clicked, I think like I said, in large part due to the fact that the world is like on fire. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, I thought, you know, you had some peer system, very nice things. Um, Taylor Jenkins Reid said book lovers as a rom-com lovers dream. And of course, Emma Straub, who's also um, been on this show, I love her. said sh- that she would, fo- she would follow you anywhere. <laughs> A small town, a literary enterprise, a bookstore to rescue, and sex in moonlit streams? She's going to follow yes, me please. there. <laughs> it sounds like Emma likes you. <laughs> I love Emma. I And, you know, like her book, uh, her most recent book, This Time Tomorrow, is like yeah. one of my favorite things I've read in the last five or ten years. It, it was one of those books that as soon as I was done, I... I mean, I felt like a changed person on some level mm-hmm. and that's so mm-hmm. rare and such a special thing. And then I also immediately took it over to my parents' house and was like, dad, you have to read this. <laughs> this is like the things that it's so hard for daughters to say to their fathers, like in book form, just so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, congrats on the reception. Um, book Thank lovers. Uh, I thought ha- had a very nice review by NPR had said that by both playing to and overtly subverting romance tropes and archetypes that the book delivers an insightful comedic meditation on love family and going your own way and i think that's really saying something given that romance has 
you know, kind of seen a renaissance more recently, as you noted, but to kind of take take the genre and make it fresh. And as I've heard you talk about in the past, you know, you're kind of making it more accessible, right? It's yeah. it's it's not always been it's not always been considered like high art right. <laughs> for some reason. But yeah. it, but this is truly an incredibly well written book and congrats but Thank yeah you. how does that feel right now to kind of be in this place where where it's like oh yeah like this is this is really actually kind of an important time for romance it is so weird and like I, you know <laughs> i always say weird in interviews and then afterward i'm like i sound <laughs> unhappy it is amazing it is surreal i think like i said there were authors who who sort of opened the floodgates um, ahead of me and again i think mm. jasmine gillery helen huang sally thorne were all people who started that process of bringing in new readers and i was one of those new readers i was not um, a romance reader before that like i didn't you know grow up on them um, and had all of the same like preconceived notions that i think a lot of people from my generation had and mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think with Beach Read, like there was a lot of talk about the packaging of that book where we were like, okay, we kind of, we want to get the romance readers, but we also really want to fold in like the book clubs and, and, you know, I don't know, we, we kind of were like pitching it as like, we want it to look like a softer, more inviting, like Sally Rooney cover, um, where we're, mm. we're just kind of trying to get this wide reach of people who maybe wouldn't normally pick up a romance. And I I really do take it as like one of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten whenever people tell me that my book was their gateway to romance as a genre, because I know for me, like when I was in that dark headspace, romance really was the only thing that I could read. Like I was just hmm. not, <laughs> I was not doing well. And I, you know, I typically gravitate toward darker, heavier books as a reader, but mm-hmm. I just couldn't read anything without just feeling full-fledged panic. And romance was the only thing that I could pick up and it would just pull me out of myself for a little bit. And um, I just felt safe in that space. And so when other people are like, yeah, I'd never read romance. And now it's like the, the primary genre I read in, I just am so complimented by that and so honored because I do mm-hmm. feel like the, the genre was a gift to me in a really dark time. And it's like just so amazing to be able to introduce people to this thing that was like a lifeboat to me and let it be that for them now. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow. A DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. 
And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, um, you know, as as we've noted, just regarding kind of the subject matter of your books, of course, your first uh, Beach Read starred two authors, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, talk a little bit about yeah, you know how you get, or you know, maybe just the inspiration or the seeds of inspiration for um, book lovers, and and it is about a literary agent and a book editor. Yeah, but no spoilers here. No of course. spoilers, of course. <laughs> yeah, so I. With with book lovers specifically, it, I usually I do tend to usually start with a setting, and I just will find a premise that sort of folds into that setting or a character that folds into it. But with book lovers, it really started with Nora, the point of view character, the narrator. Um, I was watching Hallmark Christmas movies <laughs> in the winter, as I am wont to do, and I love them. But it's funny because it's like if you've seen three, then like you've seen in a way, all of them, like it's just, which again, I love them. I can't get enough. I have to preface everything I'm about to say with that. However, once you've seen three, you've probably seen at least two about a hardened city person who uproots their life to go to a small town on business. And then while Mm -hmm. they're there, you know, they fall in love with like a local baker and (laughs) they give up their like hardened city person ways and they move to Vermont and now they make maple syrup or whatever. So I love that storyline, but there's something funny about it, which is that a lot of times there's this, this character who's only there in, you know, like the first half of it, who is the main character's romantic partner back in the city. And her whole job is to call him (laughs) and like, you know, do the split screen to remind the audience that he has a life back in the city and it (laughs) sucks. (laughs) <laughs> and so it's like he, she's calling him and she's on her treadmill and she's like eating a salad really mm-hmm. angrily and she's just like have you fired everyone yet like have you closed <laughs> down the toy factory get back to the city and she has no patience for him and he's dragging his feet because he's starting to be changed by the local baker and the magic of christmas and whatnot and and you know she's there to be a foil to the person who's right for him and also as like a stand-in for his life in New York or Toronto or wherever these are supposed to be. (laughs) And in watching those, you know, it's like, I am not a person who likes to think of who likes to take one story and say, this person is like making a statement about like the right way. Like, you know, it's not like, like people are allowed to have different stories, but when you see that story over and over again, you start to think like, Oh, this is like actually how we think of (laughs) women like this is like the this is maybe what we really think it's like and and of course it is I mean of course it is it's like the woman is supposed to be beautiful but she's not supposed to 
like hate leaving her house without makeup. She's supposed to be mm. like carefree, beautiful. And, you know, she's supposed to eat like whatever she wants, but also somehow magically be thin. It's like the whole gone, gone girl, like cool girl thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we use this kind of lazy shorthand to communicate to our audience, like this is not the person you're rooting for, where we're like, okay, you can tell she's not the person you're rooting for because she's always wearing the wrong shoes. Like she's wearing high heels in situations where it makes no sense. And she's really impatient with children. And when she walks (laughs) into the office, she throws her coat at her assistant. And some of those things are like a little bit more like there's actually like, okay, this person's mistreating someone. But a lot of it is just little weird details where you're like, okay, she likes salad. She doesn't eat a burger. She likes salad. So now we know she's like wrong and bad. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I just, I wanted to take that character because she shows up enough that it feels like we're clearly fascinated by her. The the devil wears Prada is like, you know, a huge, a huge Mm. phenomenon that's just kind of hinging on the concept of this career woman who's like inaccessible to a point. And I just thought it would be really fun to kind of justify her to see like, why is she this way? And also Mm -hmm. to poke fun at the fact that we think that these little details that are ultimately meaningless say something about someone's character. Like who cares if she likes high heels? Why is that (laughs) a character flaw? Yeah, that's really interesting. You said Devil Wears Prada, because of course I did think of that movie, reading your work. And then there was a discussion recently, and I can't remember if it was on Twitter or elsewhere, um, about Meryl Streep and Mm -hmm. her use of glasses as yes. like dramatic um, yes. <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> i saw that prop. and was like wow i never noticed that but that's uh. so real just like <laughs> it's like a way to show exasperation you're like i am so disappointed in you for being such an idiot <laughs> <laughs> i love that i love that well i want to talk about the making of of the book and of course your writing process pick your brain a little bit about that i've heard you talk about doing kind of a 40 days to first draft sprint. Yeah. And then I've also heard you talk about writing in notebooks by hand. Talk a little bit about what goes into the kind of the first part of the process, you know, kind of as you're like, I don't know if you're outlining or or you're kind of like, you know, scribbling notes that you overhear in cafes. Yeah. Like in my wildest dreams, I'm outlining. Like I, I I hope that someday (laughs) I do that. Um, because instead what I do is I, I, I basically like, I keep (laughs) every single thing about my process as I say it, I'm just sort of like, don't do this, but it has worked for me. So I basically just keep an idea in my head (laughs) until I'm ready to write. And I don't really, Hmm. I might write down like one little, if I write anything down, it's like a, a beat of dialogue. Um, so I'll have the idea for the premise and I'll just be kind of thinking on that for a little bit. And when I have, basically when I have like an opening scene that relates to that premise and then like two other scenes from later in the book, kind of in my head, that's when I'll sit down to write. Mm. And like I said, like sometimes I'll like have an idea for a very specific beat of dialogue that I think fits nicely with the premise. And so I'll just like put a note in my phone for that um just so I won't lose it but overall like I, I just kind of keep it really fluid until in my brain until I'm like hammering out that first draft and hmm. um like you said I do like I just write furiously every single day 
I write at least 2000 words a day until I get to the end of the book. (laughs) And then if I have time, I let it sit for like a week or two. And then I'll like go back through it and and basically just try and figure out what I meant to write the first time. Like Mm -hmm. I write it wrong. And then by the end, usually I've figured out the characters at that point and what their emotional arc is. And so then I can go back and in some form, not quite outline, but just reorganize a little bit. Yeah. The scenes to make it actually make sense to reach that ending because it's like, I, I just, until I know what the emotional arc is, the plot is just kind of like SpaghettiOs or something. And then it's like, <laughs> I have to actually make it a story after that. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, are you a morning or an afternoon writer? Do you um, lean on uh, anything like coffee or <laughs> lean on uh, tea yes. to keep you um, motivated? I am a I am an <laughs> I'm an all day writer, but it is like I I do it before anything. Basically, it's like I wake up, I do Wordle, then I do the New York Times spelling bee, and quit the second that it gets to genius level because I'm like so <laughs> rewards based. It's like I know there are more words here, but I don't care. I just needed the title. So once the New York Times tells me I'm a genius, <laughs> then I'm like <laughs> I can write, and I have you know the same thing to drink every single morning, which right now, like, you know, for like the last year, at least has been cold brew and chocolate oat milk. Mm. Yeah, pretty tasty little like mocha situation. And I like just sit down and start because the longer, you know, I I was just doing another interview recently. And I was talking about like, the truth is when I'm drafting, I wake up with a a pit in my stomach every Mm. single day, where I'm so afraid to start writing, because when you start writing, it's like, it's all going to come apart. Um, it's all perfect until you like type it out. So I really just have to like sit down and start first thing in the day and not let that fear grow any bigger in me. Because as soon as I start writing, even if it's going horribly, that pit goes away. It's like the fear of breaking it is no longer needed because I'm already inside of the book. So I draft furiously until I get that first draft. And then it's like, yeah, like I said, just kind of go back and rewrite every single thing and rely on the same like drink and food every single day. So I don't have to make any extra decisions. Like there is an ongoing 
thing where like I mentioned in an interview that I eat <laughs> yogurt every single day. <laughs> and then um, that ended up like in the heading of the article. And it was like, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> like this is what I gave this like professional journalist who did a great job, by the way, like all she could really mm-hmm. like hammer out into the headline was like, she eats a lot of yogurt. So um, yeah, <laughs> I just like to minimize my decision making like, uh, yeah. you know, I work in my pajamas and I don't, yeah, I like have cliff bars like often, like kind of just a gross, um, <laughs> I don't know, just, just surviving until I'm done with a book. Survival mode. Yeah. Oh, that's cool to hear. Um, let's see. I wanted to just ask about, I don't know, this thing that a lot of writers talk about, I think when they've achieved a certain level of success when their name is bigger than the title of the book which it seems like is uh, you're you're trending towards um <laughs> yeah is is there ever like a moment of like imposter syndrome you know because there's oh, this yeah there's this thing about you know artists and, and calling yourself an artist or calling yourself a writer mm-hmm. which you know is encouraged but it's also you know it, there's a pl- there's probably a place you know at, at a certain point in your career where where you're like, what? Whoa, who am I? Like, how did this happen? Yeah. I mean, so first, first off, I'll say that I really intentionally decided to start calling myself a writer well before I published. Like that was a decision that I made. And the reason for it was I had a full-time job, which was a technical writing job that I loathed. And so my writing was mostly done on the weekends. And I knew like, you know, I would get invited to do things like that's when everybody's free. People want to do things in the evenings and on the weekends. And I just started telling people like, Oh, Oh, I can't come to that. Yeah. I have to work. And it, they, at first, you know, there were a lot of questions where they were like, what do you mean you have to work? And gradually everyone just came Mm -hmm. to understand like, no, I'm talking about my writing that I do not get paid for. Like I have to work. I have to write on Saturday and Sunday. That's what I'm going to be doing. I can do something at night, but you know, during the day I'm, I'm committed to that. And the questions got, you know, more and more infrequent until everybody, instead the invitations are like, Hey, we're going to the park on Saturday. I don't know if you have to work, but you know, you're (laughs) welcome to join whatever. So I made this really intentional decision before I was publishing to just like take myself seriously. And I think that's because I'm uh, a youngest child and only daughter. (laughs) And so like my whole life is just sort of like, take me seriously Um, and yeah, so I, I had already kind of done that. And so in a lot of ways I was able to bypass that imposter syndrome because I had just decided before anyone else took me seriously that I took myself seriously. And I think the bigger adjustment now has been getting to the point of realizing, oh, I don't want my entire identity wrapped up in like the thing that I do. Like, and you know, I have a a friend, this really talented writer and artist, Hallie Bateman, who was talking about shifting her perspective from I am an artist to I make art. And it's really funny because it was like, I spent all these years being like, I am an artist, I am an artist. And now I'm like, no, I'm a human and I make art. Um, Mm, mm -hmm. And, and that's been really, like, really, really, really important for my own sanity to remember that I'm a whole person. And this is like just a job and it's a dream job, but it's a job. And, you know, and I still like matter if I don't put out a book every year, like I'm still a a person on this planet. (laughs) So that's, you know, something I'm like wrestling with. But as far as imposter syndrome, 
that really only factors in, I think, with other authors. Like it's weird because mm. when someone likes my books, I'm like, oh, cool, like as readers. But when when I have to send, you know, a book out to try and get blurbs, or even when I turn things into my editor, sometimes I do have that feeling of like, they're gonna find, yeah, they're gonna find me out. Like they're gonna realize <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. Um yeah. and I think, you know, especially because a lot of my, my reading interests are different from what I write when I, you know, interact with other authors and other genres. I'm just sort of like, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a really weird thing to, to try and believe that someone whose work that you've admired for decades, like thinks that you're good at what you do. That's, Mm. it's just hard. It's like hard to wrap your head around that. Sure. Sure. Um, well, I want to wrap up with a fun one. And uh, before we get your pillar of wisdom for writers on just how to persevere, I'll point at your home base. Of course, emilyhenrybooks.com. The book is Book Lovers. And um, you are on Instagram at emilyhenrywrites also. Yes, correct. So quick question. If you could have dinner with any author from any era to your favorite place in the world, who would you take and where would you take them? Oh my gosh, that is so hard. Okay, so I would take whoever I'm taking. I feel like I would take them to like California wine country and dinner would Uh just be like so many snacks Um, (laughs) and then like multiple bottles of wine. And in general, when I get asked this, I'm like, I'm just going to choose an author I'm already friends with because I would probably realistically rather do that than like meet someone new. Yeah. But... So if I, you know, with that, I would choose my friend, Brittany Cavallaro. I haven't seen her in a couple of years and that would be amazing. But also I do think it would be really fun to hang out with Jane Austen and just like, I don't just like let her know how much her work has continued Mm. to be like the end all be all um, for so many people. And also like, I think she doesn't get enough credit for being really funny and (laughs) it would be fun to, yeah, to just like laugh with jane austen <laughs> yeah and Brittany, and just like party yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right um sounds like a good time your final pearl of wisdom to writers on just how to how to keep going oh <laughs> i think just the constant reminder that it's hard for everyone and it's not just you is like really helpful to know that it doesn't mean anything about you or your ability or your worthiness when you're struggling, or even, you know, if you're, if you're publishing and you feel like your publisher doesn't care or like nobody's buying your books or, you know, you just, you keep striking out with agents, whatever phase. I just think knowing that everyone's been there and there really is no such thing as that overnight success is really comforting because it's like your self-doubt isn't special. (laughs) Like everybody's got it. It doesn't mean anything about you. Love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today, Emily. We appreciate your words, your wisdom. Come back anytime. And um, yeah, best of luck with with, uh, your future endeavors. Thank you so much, Kelton. This was great. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm.